Yes, I that's, not, that's not evil. Being hostile to all mankind and subversive is not evil. One disco. Well, I have to say that because St. Paul said the Jews are enemies of the entire human race. They are. What do you think of Jordan Peterson? Uh, did you see the video about where he said, I can't do it? Adam, I'm trying to do you a favor. You're fighting for the gay disco. Don't make your ignorance normative for the rest of us. Don't, don't use those kinds of slurs. You're on the fighting for the gay disco. What? Are there are no slurs here. Die for the gay disco. This is an uprising against smug elites. Smug elites. So they're the villains, and the opposite is Definitely our most requested guest, uh, Dr. E. Michael Jones, a man who needs no introduction. I mean, it is. That, that's, what they, that's what they pay the Rockefeller Foundation to do. Uh, you're not supposed to know what I just told you. They didn't know about this. They didn't know what we know now. I mean, is there any argument you can use to wake them up? Yeah, I think uh, God had a plan for your life. Well, you'd be jerking off to every curvy piece of driftwood you saw at the beach. Fight the people who don't like disco. Maybe you would. And you're consistently refusing to talk about pornography. Uh, Pete Buttigieg yeah. seems to be the exhibit A of that process. Yes, yes. Because you think that the anus is a sex organ, don't you, Pete? Uh, Richard Spencer hands out spears and he says, charge the machine gun nest. Dr. Jones. Sorry. <laughs> Not all of the heads of the Federal Reserve were Jews, but after a certain period of time, uh, that seemed to be the case. Hello. Welcome to another EMJ live chat. It's uh, Friday afternoon. Uh, we're late getting started because of technical difficulties, but better late than never. Uh, what happened over this past week is that uh, two stories that we ran in um, Culture Wars this past month, uh, Brenda Whitaker's article on the Mark Houck trial and my article on how I ended up in the FBI hit list for traditional Catholics, uh, both stories took on legs. Uh, and not only that, they merged into a narrative, uh, a single narrative that made national news after it became the basis of Senate hearings on prosecutorial bias in the Justice Department. Uh, this investigation, you can see it on YouTube. We were going to run the clips, but we can't run them. Uh, in his interrogation of Attorney General uh, Garland, Senator Ted Cruz of Texas stated, you agree with Roe versus Wade, you disagree with the Dobbs decision, uh, that that was the fundamental principle uh, which determined how the law was going to be forced, uh, enforced under Garland's leadership at the Justice Department. Garland was clearly embarrassed by the charge but unable to refute the claim leveled by Cruz that the protesters who clearly broke the law by demonstrating in front of the homes of the justices who voted in favor of the Dobbs decision would not be prosecuted. 
even though they clearly broke federal law. Because, as Cruz put it, the Department of Justice decided that this law doesn't apply to harassing justices for an opinion that Garland's lawyers don't like. Cruz tried in vain to get Garland to answer a simple yes or no question. Have you brought a single case against these protesters? And Garland refused to answer. Every time uh, Ted Cruz asked for a simple yes or no answer, did you prosecute these protesters? Uh, 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 he, He launched into a speech talking about he did this and he did that. At this point, Cruz's uh, frustration started to show uh, in, in the hearings. And uh, realizing he was not going to get an answer from, uh, from Mark Merrick Garland on this question, he switched and brought up the case of Mark Houck, which we also discussed last week. Uh, you know the story already, but uh, Cruz then said, Uh, Between 20 and 30 armed FBI officers showed up at this Catholic pro-lifer's home with guns drawn in a pre-dawn raid, which both endangered and terrorized Halk's entire family. Uh, After Garland uh, reputedly reputedly refused to answer Cruz's question about how do you decide which statutes you enforce and which statutes you don't, Cruz said, we've seen violent attacks on pregnancy centers by left-wing groups There have been attacks all over the country, and yet the Department of Justice has not brought these violent criminals to justice. Contrast that to Mark Halk. If you're a pro-life activist, what can you expect? Well, in this instance, according to Mr. Halk's wife, two dozen agents clad in body armor and ballistic helmets and shields and battering rams showed up at his house pointing rifles at his family. Cruz continued, Why do you send two dozen agents in body armor to arrest a sidewalk counselor who happens to be pro-life when you don't dedicate resources to prosecute people who are violently firebombing crisis pregnancy centers? Again, he got no answer. Merrick Garland refused to answer the question. He kept uh, coming up with little speeches saying, well, we did this and we did that. So eventually, without getting an answer, Cruz's time ran out. At this point, uh, Josh Hawley, the senator uh, from Missouri, uh, took up the same line of questioning. Uh, Only this time, he brought up the memo that was the heart of the other story. Uh, That's the memo uh, which uh, named me as a traditional Catholic and a threat to the Republic. uh, and he said, uh, asked, um, asked uh, Merrick Garland if he were familiar with this leaked memo from the FBI office in Richmond, Virginia, which, quote, advocated, this is a quote from the uh, memo, use of tripwire and source development against traditionalist Catholics, including those who favor the Latin mass. And then he continued, Attorney General, are you cultivating sources and spies in Latin mass parishes and other Catholic parishes around the country? Garland this time responded actually to the question and said, I saw the document you sent. It was appalling. I am in complete agreement with you. I understand that the FBI has withdrawn it and is now looking into how this could have happened. At that point, Holy said, how did it happen? 
Garland said, that's what they're looking into, but I'm totally in agreement with you, in agreement with you. Hawley then continued by saying, I'll tell you how it happened. This memorandum, which is supposed to be uh, intelligence, cites extensively the Southern Poverty Law Center, which identifies these groups as hate groups. Is that how the FBI, under your direction and leadership, does intelligence? They look at left-wing advocacy groups to target Catholics. Is this what is going on? It clearly is. How is this happening? Both Cruz and Hawley were exasperated by Garland's refusal to answer their question. Uh, Hawley saying at one point, you don't know the specifics of anything, it seems, but on your watch, the Justice Department is targeting Catholics, targeting people of faith, and I'll tell you, this is a disgrace. And that was the end of his time, allotted time, uh, for confronting Mr. Garland. Uh, Mr. Garland was clearly uncomfortable throughout this whole thing, uh, tried to put up a brave front simply by changing the subject every time he got a, asked a pointed question. Uh, but so let's be positive here about what happened. Uh, first of all, we now have a clear indication of the dynamics of uh, the culture wars in America and the side that the FBI is playing now. Uh, this, uh, the Mark Howe case, we covered that last time, is not the only case. As soon as Garland became uh, head of the uh, Justice Department, uh, word went out uh, that they were to go after uh, pro-lifers. They were looking to face act violations, fake faces the Freedom of Access to Clinic Entrance Bill, a completely phony-assed operation uh, done by Ted Kennedy because they needed a Catholic to, to do it. Uh, and uh, it was basically in reaction to Operation Rescue, uh, and it made it a felony to block the entrance to a clinic. Well, Halk wasn't anywhere near the entrance. He was a sidewalk counselor. He stayed on the sidewalk. And the incident began when the uh, escort, who was a psychopath, tried to th threaten Halk's son. Halk stepped in between the two of them, and that led to a charge, uh, uh, a misdemeanor, which uh, the local district attorney, Larry Krasner, who is uh, a Soros prosecutor and certainly uh, pro-abortion, and would, uh, would have been a likely candidate to go after him, refused to, to prosecute. There was a civil case, and the guy who uh, was the plaintiff refused to show up. So it's a nothing. There's a nothing burger here, okay? And at that point, the FBI jumped in and made a federal case out of something that was nothing. And uh, it was uh, such a, a trumped-up case that when it finally went to trial, it was dismissed in one hour. Now... This is good because what we're seeing here is uh, the true uh, outlines of the cultural conflict that we're talking about. And it's as I, Josh Hawley is from Missouri. I've already talked about that uh, battle over the statue in St. Louis, uh, which was a uh, case of identity theft where uh, a guy who calls himself a Muslim by the name of Umar Lee claimed that it was white supremacists standing there at the statue. Uh, I say identity theft because those white supremacists were all praying the rosary which is not something usually white supremacists do. It turns out they were Catholics. And the whole point of that attack on the statue was to turn what was basically a religious conflict into a racial conflict because once you convict the people on the other side of being white, you automatically win. That is not the case with religious conflicts as we found out in, um, in St. Louis. 
The conflict in St. Louis was a Catholic-Jewish conflict. The lady, uh, Rabbi Susan, was the force. No matter, Omar Lee was the front man. He was, uh, at one time, he was white. At one time, he was black. Uh, Then he turned into a Muslim. Uh, But that was clearly to distract attention from the fact that it was basically the rabbi and her progressive synagogue that were behind this attack because they don't like Catholicism. And the real grievance was the fact that Louis IX, whose statue is there, apparently he burned the Talmud in the 13th century. Jews never forget. And so here's payback for burning the Talmud in the 13th century. Well, let's be, go back to the story here. Uh, Josh Hawley got out half the story. He clearly identified the fact that Catholics were being targeted uh, because of their religion, uh, because of their stand on abortion. But at that point, this is where he should have followed it. They should have taken it up uh, because there is a certain group who believes that abortion is a fundamental uh, value. And this is the Jews. And what uh, Josh Hawley should have said to the attorney general is, uh, uh, do you, uh, uh, are you aware that abortion is a fundamental Jewish value? Uh, are you, are, aren't you Jewish? Yes, of course, Garland's Jewish. His original name was Garfinkel some time back. Uh, and once that comes into play, then we have the classic uh, battle here between Catholics and Jews that I've been talking about as the basically the, the basic grammar of the culture wars in America. It's not black-white, it's religious. And in this particular instance, it's Catholic versus Jews because the neuralgic issue here is abortion. And the fact of the matter is that uh, uh, the Catholics are never going to back down on abortion. And after the collapse of Roe versus Wade, the overturning of Roe versus Wade, the Jews have not only uh, uh, stayed the course, they doubled down on abortion, declaring it a fundamental Jewish value. So the next question is, well, uh, given your track record, uh, are you incapable of enforcing the law on abortion because you're Jewish? Now, that would have caused a huge explosion, okay? But uh, it would have gotten the discourse into the realm of reality because that is simply what's going on here. We have a battle in this nation now. It's, we've always had this battle, beginning with Roe versus Wade, beginning before Roe versus Wade, when Bernard Nathanson and Lawrence Later, two Jews, were trying to overturn the laws of the state of uh, New York as a preliminary to the national overturning of abortion laws, it was a Catholic Jewish battle. That's what it is today. That's what uh, both uh, uh, Hawley and Cruz should have brought up, and that would have put the ball in Merrick Garland's court because it looks as if uh, he... Uh, can't enforce the law because abortion is such a fundamental value that he loses all objectivity when it comes to that issue and basically sends out. Now, he's he's saying, well, I didn't have anything to do with that prosecution. But when he becomes head, he sets the tone for the entire Justice Department. And they knew that advancement was now predicated on the fact of doing, going after the people he perceived as enemies. And when it came to abortion, it was the Catholics. This is relevant, and in it, we are not going to get anywhere 
until we can talk about both sides of this issue, which means both the Catholic side and the Jewish side. Now, I have been saying for a long time that the Catholic Church has been crippled in its efforts to uphold the moral order, which is one of the main duties of the Catholic Church, because it cannot address the Jewish question. That is obvious in the question of abortion. Okay, Catholic politicians could strive to ban abortion, but they were held back in their efforts by American bishops who crippled the politicians in their effort to identify the enemy by claiming that in their catechism that the Mosaic Covenant was eternally valid. Uh, until Bob Sungenis said that it wasn't, and that was a heretical statement, and then they removed it. It went farther than that. As I pointed out in the review I just did of Ratzinger, uh, Joseph Ratzinger's posthumous book, uh, he is telling us in that book that uh, Jews and Catholics share the same morality. Well, that's patently preposterous in the light of what happened after Roe versus Wade. But it's the norm now. You've got a, a, a system, a, 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 an operating system that is out of sync with itself, okay? Every bishop, anyone who becomes a bishop is going to have to sign on to some type of agreement uh, accepting super, uh, denying supersessionism, which is to say that the Jews uh, were superseded uh, by the, the new covenant, the old covenant by the new covenant at the time of the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus Christ. How do I know that? Well, from experience, but it came especially to my mind at this point in time because uh, one day after Cruz and Hawley uh, grilled Merrick Garland in the Senate, Bishop uh, Barron came to Notre Dame University and uh, gave a talk on the Catholic University. Now, it was, you know, okay, it's a talk. It was kind of ahistorical. It's kind of based on Newman, uh, his reading of Newman, and so on and so forth. Went through various instances of how the Catholic uh, faith could contribute to, to knowledge and so on and so forth. But one of the things he said during that talk was basically that uh, the Catholic Church uh, uh, can be used as an instrument of evangelization. Well, I, I suppose it could, but what does he mean by that? And what is the main obstacle to evangelization right now uh, for the Catholic Church? Well, it's the same question. It's the same issue that is crippling the Catholic Church when it comes to dealing with the abortion issue. It's the Jewish question. That is a, there is a, and this be, has become a roadblock a fundamental roadblock to the church proclaiming its gospel uh, to all nations, as Jesus Christ said in the, in the Great Commission. How do we know this? Well, because uh, Bar Bishop Barron contributed to this uh, total confusion now uh, of the gospel. Uh, he comes out in theory for evangelization, but what happens when, he, when it turns to, to practice? Well, we found that out because there was a, an interview uh, between Ben Shapiro and Bishop Barron. And the, the interview uh, began, basically, with uh, Shapiro saying, uh, so let's begin with the most awkward of the awkward questions. 
I don't really care about this question, but I get this question a lot. As a Jew, how does it feel that other religions don't think you're getting into heaven? So what's the Catholic view? I'm asking you on who gets into heaven and who doesn't. I spent a lot of time, my time promulgating what I think are Judeo-Christian virtues. So what's the Catholic view of me? Am I basically screwed here? That was the literal thing. He's saying basically, uh, in so many words, am I going to hell? So, what does Barron say? No, he says. The Catholic view. Go back to the Second Vatican Council. It says very clearly, I mean, Christ is the privileged road to salvation. However, Vatican II clearly teaches that someone outside the explicit Christian faith can be saved. Now, they're saved through the grace of Christ, indirectly received. The grace is coming from Christ, but it might be received according to your conscience. So if you're following your conscience sincerely, or you think you're following the commands of the law sincerely, yeah, you can be saved. Now, that doesn't mean complete relativism. We would still say that the privileged route and the route that God has offered humanity is the route of his son. But no, you can be saved. Vatican II says that even an atheist of goodwill can be saved because following, uh, following his conscience, if he does, John Henry Newman says that conscience is the aboriginal vicar of Christ in the soul. It is, in fact, the voice of Christ. He is the Logos made flesh. He is the divine reason made flesh that following my conscience, I'm following him, whether I know it explicitly or not. So even the atheist of goodwill, Vatican II teaches, can be saved. Well, uh, he didn't cite any passage in Vatican II because uh, this is totally preposterous and it's not in Vatican II. That's why he didn't cite it. Okay, and then he says, uh, Christ is the privileged road to salvation. So wh what's this like? This is like the, uh, the, the Indiana Toll Road. You can get there faster if you go on the Indiana Toll Road, but you can still take Route 30 if you want to go through a lot of little towns, right? I think that's what it means, which means, as I understand it, you can be saved uh, uh, without any reference, without any reference to the Catholic Church. No, no, wait a minute. It's even even if you don't know it, you're still being influenced by the Catholic Church. Okay, I leave it to you. You can watch the debate. You can puzzle over it as long as you want, but it's basically incoherent. Why do I say that? Well, there's a, a term that is conspicuous by its absence from Barron's discussion with Ben Shapiro. And that term is baptism. Didn't bring it up once. Not once did Bishop Barron mention baptism. Well, isn't this important? Uh, especially if you're talking about evangelization. Isn't evangelization, the goal of evangelization, bringing people to baptism, uh, which you enter as through a door uh, to salvation? The Catholic Church states specifically baptism, this is the Catholic Catechism, baptism, the universal Catholic Catechism, baptism is necessary for salvation. So let's recast this conversation with Ben Shapiro. So Ben says, am I going to hell? The bishop should have said at that point, Ben, are you baptized? At which point Ben would say, no. Uh, I'm not baptized. I'm a Jew. 
And at that point, uh, Bishop Barron said, okay, if you refuse to be baptized, you cannot be saved. Now, that is a theological truth that I will defend to the death, okay? You can say, uh, I'm not baptized, and then you could go into all sorts of uh, explanations about that. And they, actually, the Vatican Council does go into that type of thing, talks about uh, invincible ignorance. If you were a Yano Mamo living in the Amazon rainforest in 5000 BC, you uh, would not know what baptism was because it didn't exist. Okay, and, and uh, your soul would be judged by God according to how you follow the moral law. That's uh, what Vatican, the Vatican Council says. It's usually termed uh, invincible ignorance. That is not the situation of Ben Shapiro. Ben Shapiro knows what baptism is. He knows what the Catholic Church is, and he refuses to be baptized. If you refuse to be baptized, you cannot be saved. Well, why didn't Bishop Barron say that? Well, because that's not something that we say in public. And so basically, in order to have a message, uh, I, I don't want to judge here, but I mean, let's put it this way. In order to be popular, you have to censor the gospel. It's that simple. It's never been any other way than that. Than, uh, and today, it is certainly not. Certainly, the same thing, the same thing is true today. If you want to be popular with the world, you have to censor the gospel. And that is precisely what's going on here. Okay? You cannot be saved if you refuse to be baptized. It's that simple. It's that simple. No one can change, no one can change that. This is not without precedence in Scripture. Uh, if you go to the Acts of the Apostles, uh, something similar happened uh, with St. Peter. After Pentecost, the uh, apostles are full of zeal. They're no longer afraid of the Jews. And so Peter walks out into Jerusalem and as the opening statement basically says, you killed Christ. Now, uh, that's not going to get you invited back to any Jewish-Christian dialogue uh, today. But that's the way he opened. That was his opening gambit. And the reaction of the Jews is instructive. They were cut to the heart. If you're not cut to the heart, uh, why would you change? But they were cut to the heart because Peter told them the truth. And then they said, after they're cut to the heart, what must we do to be saved? And Peter said, you must be baptized. That's it. That's evangelization. Now, there are a million different ways to go about this. And I am no fundamentalist when it comes to evangelization. Uh, if you look at the Jesuits, uh, the heroic or early Jesuits who would show up in places uh, both civilized and uncivilized where no one had ever heard uh, uh, someone from Europe speak before, no one had heard of anything. They would begin the conversation with Logos, the Logos that both groups would understand. And so when St. Francis Xavier went to Japan, he took a telescope and he took an astrolabe, and he talked about the heavens because they understood that there was a logos in the heavens. And then he uh, wrote, a, a, a pro, got a better calendar. That, it, I'm, I'm conflating here with Matteo Ricci, uh, the Jesuit who, and uh, Francis Xavier wanted to go to China, but he couldn't, didn't make it. 
Matteo Ricci did. He learned the Chinese language, which is no mean feat, believe me. And then after that, he wrote a classic in that language that is still a Chinese classic to this day. And he talked about uh, the heavens as well. And he came up with a better calendar. And the point of that was, if you can understand the logos of the heavens better, maybe you can explain this other logos better as well. And that was the entree. I'm not denying that there are, you have to have sophistication when you're dealing with people uh, who you've never met before. But you can't get around the fundamental fact, uh, which is that uh, you have to, there's going to be uh, a, a, a bump in the road uh, because at a certain point, you're going to have to accept what reason prepares you for by faith. You can't get around it. It's just part of it. You, can, you, can, you can't force faith, but you can enforce reason. In fact, you have to. And that's precisely what is going on here. And it's precisely what is not happening here at all. Oh, no, wait a minute. That's not true. It is happening. And it's happening uh, right now. Uh, conversations like this are having an effect uh, articles of the sort that we published in Culture Wars magazine are having an effect. You can preach this gospel to people who are hurting. You can talk about Logos in a way that makes uh, a persuasive case. And I know this because I get letters all the time of people where it is having an effect. So I'd just like to share you, uh, by way of conclusion, a letter I got this week. Okay? Dear... Dr. E. Michael Jones. Just over a year ago, I was a hapless Jewish bachelor living in my stepmother's basement. However, now I am a well-to-do married man confirmed in the Roman Catholic Church. My conversion can be attributed in part to your assertion that the prescriptions of the Old Covenant can no longer be fulfilled and yet that they are fulfilled in the Eucharist as administered by ordained priests of the Holy Catholic Church. Your social commentary, too, allowed me to make sense of a world that as a dual U.S.-Israeli citizen seemed to crumble before my eyes in the spring of 2020. My wife and I thank you for the benefit of your tireless evangelization of the Jews. May we continue to labor as one in the rescue of all of the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Well, needless to say, that letter made my day. Uh, but uh, what are we saying here? It is possible, but only on the circumstances that are proposed uh, by the gospel and, you're not, uh, and, and uh, not uh, on the terms of civic discourse, which basically pretends that none of these realities exist. Anyway, that's my rant. What are your thoughts? All right, guys, this is uh, Mike. Uh, horribly sorry for the late start and uh, the lack of a stream here. There's some network difficulties, and uh, I had to frantically just kind of come up with something uh, to get stuff uh, going here. So we decided to jump back the old school style of Telegram. And I think I even accidentally, yeah, I, uh, I, I ended up jumping in the, uh, the channel versus the chat. So if you go, I'll post it in the channel right now. Uh, we're going to have a round of uh, questionnaires. Uh, you guys have to uh, raise your hand, and uh, and then 
I'll unmute you. Make sure to unmute yourself, and you'll be able to ask Dr. Jones a question. Um, there's, uh, try to keep questions roughly on subject. Try to keep the one question. Be respectful of time. And then near the end of the show, uh, you guys can uh, write in some questions now or later in the chat, which I just posted in the channel, and we'll read off some of those. All right, enough of the formalities to the chat. Here we are. Thursday Child, all yours. Don't forget to unmute. Are you there, Thursday Child? Nope, I hope this is working. All right, let me try somebody else. Uh, Don Johnson. Let's see. Go ahead. Can you say something, Don? Odd. Hi there. Hello. Thanks. Hi, Dr. Jones. Hello. Can you hear me? I can. Hi there. Um, I just wanted to ask you a question. If the if the direction of the um, Roman Catholic Churches seems to be through Vatican II a move to Protestantism. What is Protestantism moving to? What is the where is Protestant going if 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 Catholicism is moving to Protestantism? Protestantism is expiring as we speak. So it existed for five hundred years. It took the patrimony, the only patrimony it had, it took it out of the church, and over these five hundred years it has gradually evaporated to the point where uh, the Protestant churches in these uh, classically Protestant countries like England, Scotland, Scandinavia are disappearing. Uh, the, as, as, as far as I can tell, it's it's over. They're going to be uh, the the mainline Protestant churches have all succumbed to political correctness. Uh, the evangelical churches have succumbed to Christian Zionism. Uh, between the two of them, you're not going to get uh, an uh, an accurate unpolluted version of the gospel. You're going to get an ideology either of sexual liberation or of Christian Zionism that is going to be a distortion of the gospel. And people are simply voting with their feet and they're leaving. The whole uh, movement, the rise of racial thinking is basically a function of the collapse of Protestantism. So that's where it is. I would not say that the Vatican Council in its initial uh, inception was an attempt to Protestantize the church. I think it was an attempt to preserve Catholic culture from both uh, Soviet and American influence. But that's another topic. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Jones. You're welcome. Uh, next, we have uh, G-Boss. Go ahead. Okay. Hello. Um, yeah. Hello. Hello. Uh, hey, Dr. Jones. Uh, how are you doing? Good. Yeah, so I'd like to ask a question in regards to like the FBI. So I have a very strong belief that the FBI has always been serving uh, Jewish interests since the day it started. And I guess one question I would have is, um, what would I ask? I think what would be the better alternative to the FBI and the CIA for like in terms of national defense since they've outlived their usefulness right now? Have you heard of your local police force? We don't need an FBI. It is completely redundant. It was created as a form of political control and coercion from the beginning, uh, largely uh, with the connivance of J. Edgar Hoover with uh, other, other forces. 
It was quickly taken over, as you rightly pointed out, by, by Jewish interests, largely because they were blackmailing J. Edgar Hoover, uh, who, had, uh, who was a, a homosexual. And at that point, you could be blackmailed easily by being a homosexual. So they kept him in line, and basically uh, the Jews used the FBI to eliminate the uh, people that they didn't like. That's exactly what they're doing today. <laughs> it's a Southern Poverty mm. Law Center. It's a Jewish operation that is using the FBI to go after people they don't like. Now, it, it was so obvious early on that they discontinued their collaboration with the, uh, with the uh, Southern Poverty Law Center. This is a relic, uh, this list, uh, I'm on the list, it's a relic from about 2007. That's when Heidi Byrick cooked up this scheme uh, of uh, uh, turning Catholics into terrorists, uh, and, and it, it dates back to then. The, the FBI has continued, discontinued its collaboration with the uh, Southern Poverty Law Center, but they're still collaborating with the ADL. So uh, what difference does it make? It's just one Jewish organization instead of another Jewish organization telling the FBI to go out and beat up the people they don't like. That's exactly what happened when Merrick Garland, who is Jewish, this is relevant. This is not a, some type of anti-Semitic fantasy. Jews believe certain things and they are antithesis of what Catholics believe. And so therefore, they're obviously going to go after Catholics, especially if they're pro-life. What's is he, this makes perfect sense, and the only reason it doesn't make sense to people is that it's not, it's not being portrayed that way. Josh Hawley should have said to Garland, do you believe that abortion's a fundamental Jewish value? You're Jewish. Answer the question. And there would have been shock, but that would have established the parameters of the, the conflict. It's Catholic versus Jews. Mm-hmm. Thank you very much. I, I see where the answer is. Pretty, pretty much the uh, deconstruction of the Judeo-American empire. Thank you very much, Dr. Jones. You're welcome. Uh, we have a, a Thursday Childs. Uh, I'll, I'll try you. Uh, all right. Go ahead and unmute. Should be able to talk. Hello. No, you're not there. No. All right. Next one. That's it. I gave you a shot. Gave you a shot. All right, um, Tatiana Ninovich. Go ahead. And don't forget to unmute yourself. Tatiana. Ah. Some people are having trouble here. All right, let's go with Amy Smith. Let's see... Go ahead, Amy Smith. Thank you. Hi, Dr. Jones. I'm wondering if you had any information or thoughts about the auxiliary bishop, David O'Connell, who uh, seems to be tragically murdered a couple weeks ago in uh, L.A. area. And also, just if, if you also care to comment on whether Bishop Barron is part of getting sucked into Christian Zionism to some extent, or just how pervasive you think Christian Zionism is in the Catholic Church, it seems pretty common where I am. Anyway, thank you. Uh, Christ Christian Zionism is largely a, an issue in evangelical churches. Uh, there is a strong um, anti-Zionist element in the church uh, because uh, the Catholic Near East Welfare Association has to deal with uh, the persecution of Christians. 
uh, the Catholic Church is aware of persecutions of Christians in the Holy Land, and uh, this type of break, uh, this acts as a break on growth of Christian Zionism. Uh, there is no break in the, in the small evangelical churches because there's no central control. Uh, the big problem uh, in the Catholic Church is uh, this Catholic-Jewish dialogue and uh, the fact, this theological uh, fight against what they're calling supersessionism. Uh, Bishop Barron has a bad case of it. He's basically saying that Christianity is the privileged uh, route to God, implying that uh, Jews can get to God by worshiping their obsolete covenant. This is not true. This is a heretical statement, and it's a scandal that a bishop of the Catholic Church would say something like this. Who was going to correct this guy? This is so widespread in the church, uh, I'm almost tempted to feel that in order to get uh, made a bishop, you have to espouse this anti-supersessionist ideology, which is antithetical to the gospel. So that's the crisis in the Catholic Church, and it's, not, it's different than Christian Zionism. Okay, next, uh, let's see, Thomas, the floor is yours. Hello, Dr. Jones, can you hear me? I can. I can. Okay, great, fantastic. Um, basically, a few weeks ago, I asked you a question about masculinity in the church, and I said that I'm trying to evangelize. And if when I, when I show you to other young people, they love it, but then they're so disappointed by the local priest. And you responded to me, you said, well, hold on, hold on. Um, not every priest has, you know, gone through the rigorous intellectual research that I have. Don't set the bar so high. And I guess I have one thing to say to that, which is initially I thought you answered my question, but actually I don't think you did. Um, uh, you know, it's less about intellectual rigor and more about bravery. Um, I, you know, I work in a school, there's men, many members of staff there with multiple degrees, and yet the kind of interesting conversations I can have about morality and people not believing in God and standing up to moral order aren't necessarily with the most educated people there. And so there's this thing where um, even priests that are well-educated, but even people that aren't educated, you can still be someone who isn't, you know, rigorously formed philosophically, and, and and still have the courage to speak out about the gay disco and the courage to say maybe, you know, COVID was about social control and the courage to question the war in Ukraine. And, you know, it's it's very disappointing because at my local parish priest, my you know, my, he, he always talks about uh, how bad of a man Putin is and how evil Putin is. He, and, should, he has no business and, saying that. He should not be injecting his political views into the, the sermons if that's what he's doing. He's got no business saying right. that. But I mean to get okay. to get to the fundamental issue of your question, uh, you need right, you, you yeah, need yeah. you need the mind to understand the truth. Okay, now education will help you uh, understand the truth. Okay, by giving you the proper categories. Once the mind understands the truth, the will has to have the courage to act on the truth. Now, if you put those two things together, uh, you have the virtue of prudence, which is the fundamental virtue that gets you through through life. But you're right in saying that they are two separate things. So you can be uh, have a brilliant mind, but yet not have uh, courage. And I, I don't want to speak ill of the dead, but I, I think of uh, Joseph Ratzinger in that way. Brilliant guy, you know, but was crippled 
uh, I think, by the social engineering that got imposed on Germany uh, and just didn't have the, the courage to, to press the issue as he should have. And then when it finally came to, when push came to shove, he quit. So uh, that's an example of, of what we're talking about here. You have to have both. And you're never, go you're never going to succeed in life if you don't have the courage. You're simply not, it's not going to happen. You're going to be the smartest guy in the world. If you don't have the courage to act on what you know, you'll be a failure. So you're absolutely right. You need both courage and intelligence. So you would agree there's a crisis of maybe even cowardice. I'm not trying to be inflammatory here in the Catholic no, Church. No, you're right. You're absolutely right. There are people, all you have to do is okay. go, you go to an institution like, like Notre Dame uh, University, and you get the sense of fear on the campus. Right. There's just fear that someone is going to denounce me if I say something wrong. Uh, that's, exactly. That's a function of cowardice. Uh, uh, you're not going to confront the issue. And so there are people there who made bad decisions in the past. They wanted a comfortable life. They wanted that big salary. They wanted the prestige. And so they suppressed the truth in order to uh, get along. That's the opposite of prudence. And it's called prudencia carnalis or prudence of the flesh. It's the exact opposite. That's usually what people mean when they say prudent. He's a prudent guy because he basically <laughs> puts, his finger, puts his finger up, sees which way the wind is blowing, and then goes in that direction. What they really mean is he's an opportunist and he's not a prudent person. Thank you very much for answering my question. You're welcome. Dr. Jones, real quick, if you could, um, yesterday we went and saw um, Bishop Barron over at Notre Dame. You just mentioned Notre Dame and cowardness. Do you want to mention like a couple points, like maybe some good stuff we heard or some bad stuff we heard? Land of Lakes was brought up. That's yeah, yeah. So, so all right. Uh, Mike asked about the a little bit more about his talk. So, first of all, the talk is okay. It's it's not bad. He said some good things. It, it, it the fundamental problem with his talk is it it didn't address the reality of Notre Dame. It, it, there is a fundamental problem here. And the problem is that the universities get money from the government and they will not criticize government policies because they don't want to kill the goose that lays the golden egg. And so you have rainbow flags flying, all this stuff completely contradicting uh, Christian Catholic uh, teaching, moral teaching, whatever. Okay, that's going on all the time over there. Okay? So... Then we get to the question period, and this is where it starts to go bad, okay, because you can't have live questions. If it were live questions, I would have done what I did at the Right to Life banquet. I would have gone up and, you know, as I did to, Shant, uh, to Ben Shapiro, ask him a question. Couldn't do it. I would have said to Bishop Barron, is, is uh, baptism necessary for salvation? Question number one. And then he's going to say, yes, of course. And then uh, I said, well, next question, is Ben Shapiro going to hell because he re he's refusing to be baptized? That's what I would have said. Couldn't do it. And so what you had were basically softball questions vetted by campus ministry. Oi, I can't tell you how painful some of these questions. So Bishop Barron, what can you say to the youth of our day? I mean, tough questions like that. But even with that vetting, the, uh, uh, a serious question came up and asked Barron, uh, what, how do you, what do you think about Land O'Lake's statement, which is the statement that Hesburgh made when he stole the, uh, Notre Dame from the Catholic Church in 1967? 
the statement said basically, uh, no authority outside of the university should tell the university what to do. Well, Hesburgh said that at the very moment he was licking the boots of the Rockefellers, uh, staging a secret conference with their money to overturn the church's teaching on contraception. Now, this story has gotten, I'm the one who brought that story out, okay? Uh, it's gotten legs now. Pretty much everybody knows it. And I think Bishop Barron knows it as well. So when push came to shove, he said, basically, I don't agree with Land O'Lakes. Now, the shock came to me when everybody applauded. Oh, wait a minute. <laughs> everybody is cheering uh, your attack on Father Hesburg now. This something has changed at Notre Dame. Somehow they realized that that was a big mistake and the, the university has not yet uh, recovered from it. And then the question is, well, how does that relate to ex cordia ecclesiae? Well, that's the, that's the encyclical of Pope John Paul II where he tried to bring uh, places, Catholic universities like Notre Dame, once Catholic university, former Catholic university like Notre Dame, back in line with the teaching of the church. And uh, guess what happened? Uh, Father Monk Malloy, who was president of the university, wrote an article in America Magazine, the Jesuit Magazine, said, under no circumstances are we going to follow Ex Cordia Ecclesia. So complete rejection of church authority. And that, uh, of course, uh, Bishop Barron did not mention that. So he got it half right. I mean, give the guy credit. He got it right on uh, Land O'Lakes. Mike's father came up to me and said, <laughs> Jones has been vindicated. You know, Well, uh, it, it's been 30 years since I've been saying this, and apparently the message got to uh, Bishop Barron. So give him credit. But again, it's like you're giving us half the story here. Yes, that's right. But then again, the church, uh, Notre Dame, still has not come around. Uh, they are still in rebellion. Their rebellion against everything Catholic is becoming more and more flagrant uh, in spite of the fact that there are people coming there, innocent freshmen and so on, every year who think that uh, they are going to uh, get a Catholic education. They are going to get social engineering for Catholics. That's what Notre Dame does. Uh, that was my uh, summation of, I think that's, that's what happened. Give the man credit for getting it half right. Yeah, I, I felt the same way. All right, Dr. Jones. It's um, six o'clock, but we did start. Yeah, late. we started late. We're going to we'll continue to answer you the questions. You want to hit a couple more questions from the chat? Yeah, or, get or a couple the, more, and then we'll go to the. the all right, the, all right, all right, guys. Keep raising your hands. We'll try to get you in here. Crispy critter. Go ahead. Don't forget to unmute. Crispy critter. Uh, Dr. Jones, can you hear me? Sorry yes, I can. Yeah, so I read your book, uh, Jewish Revolutionary uh, Spirit, and that's why I became a Catholic a couple of years ago. So my question is, my question is, um, when I actually um, pray, uh, the whole idea, like I don't come from a nuclear family, and uh, Joseph and Mary, like, uh, it doesn't, it's sort of like, I don't really get it. So how do I sort of get past that? Because I don't really see them as a father and a mother thing. It, I can't connect with that because of my parents' divorce. Thanks. Um, we're all cripples in one way or another. We all have flaws, especially when, you, when you're compared to uh, perfection. Uh, uh, Luther, uh, Luther had a terrible relationship with his mother. Uh, and so he, his anger uh, was against uh, Holy Mother Church uh, because he, he, he felt that she was a bad mother. Uh, 
people who are uh, have distant fathers have difficulty relating with God as a father. So it's not really, you know, what are you going to do? You have to bring yourself uh, as wounded before God and ask him to speak to you in a way that you will understand. Okay, yeah, that's exactly what happened. Like I became boiling mad when, uh, you know, saying the rosary. And so I took it up in the uh, confession and, and, and the priest actually uh, you know, I got, I got, I got nothing from the priest. He was just saying, "Oh, just say the Our Father." It's too weak. Like I, I just don't think I can do it. Actually. Yeah. Well, what what can I say? I mean, the problem, uh, the problem lies with. Uh, I'm going to say in this instance, the problem lies with me. I mean, there are people in this life who are tone deaf, you know, who can't really appreciate music. There are people who are colorblind who can't really appreciate great art. So what am I going to do? It is what it okay. is. Are you saying, uh, so, okay, you're saying I'm colorblind. Okay, so. No, I'm, uh, like I'm, say, I'm saying we're all, we're all, we all have flaws that make it difficult for us to appreciate the fullness of reality. It's the way it is. And so you just have to bring that to God in, in your prayer life. And he understands it. He understands you better than okay. you, you do yourself. That's good. I'll see what I can do. Thank you. All right. Good calls here. All right. Next will be um, Dindinger. Dindinger? Dindinger. Go ahead. Dindinger. Texas Christian. You there? Don't forget to the unmute button. Going once. Did dinger. Going twice. All right. Let's go next. Maybe maybe stuff's messing up on our end. I know we're having network problems, so if it's not you people, it could be us. All right, let's try Iceman 37. Iceman. Hey, hey, good evening, uh, Dr. Jones. Uh, how are you doing, sir? Good, good. Um, I just, I just, I just had a quick question. Um, me, me and my wife, uh, she, she's uh, 20, 20 weeks pregnant. Uh, and I know it's slightly off topic, um, but the, the, this childhood vaccine schedule, um, and I'm just seeking out, you know, you're an older man. I'm sure you have children or grandkids and that sort of stuff. Um, but what, after this COVID stuff, like I just have such distrust in any of the CDC and any of this information that these institutions are giving us regarding these vaccines. Um, in, in regards to the childhood vaccine schedule, um, do you have any advice? I mean, I'm very skeptical, very hesitant to like 90% of it. Uh, I just wanted to hear what you thought. Yeah, well, that's, you're right. I would be skeptical too. Now, when I was, uh, my first, my first child was born in 1971. Well, back then it was what was it? Uh, what was the poll? What was what's the what, what was the vaccine that left a more smallpox? Basically, it was smallpox. Maybe there was a little bit more than that, but that was basically it. And then over the period of time, the number of vaccines has just proliferated, gotten more and more and more. And now you've got this uh, uh, basically problem that people are saying that uh, uh, vaccines are causing autism. Autism and vaccines proliferation is kind of go the same the same trajectory, uh, and I think that uh, Robert Kennedy's uh, Junior's uh, website uh, 
might be helpful in that regard. But but I'm, I I agree with you. The, the 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 vaccines that my grandchildren are getting are in, enormous compared to the ones that I uh, allowed my children to be vaccinated with. So you need to have a combination of doing your own research and also having a doctor you trust who is has the interest of the patient in mind and not the interest of the pharmaceutical companies who sees you, see you, your children as a guinea pig. Uh, my children right. are lucky think, in this I, regard. They have a, good, a great pediatrician here in town. So they're lucky in that regard. Yeah, I think that's the, that's the most difficult. I mean, we've sat down and had some conversations with a couple different pediatricians. And yeah, it, it does seem very tough to find, you know, in regards to like the insurance, like it looks like we're probably going to have to go to with a, a, you know, someone who's covered, not going to be covered by insurance, essentially, to get any sort of like truth or reality, you know, or differing opinion. But um, I appreciate your, I appreciate your advice, doctor. Uh, sending a big salute. Your Thank you. Way, sir. Thank you. Okay, um, let's do it. A uh, couple more, one more, two more, one more. All right, I want to really quick try Dindinger again because you're so patient. Just keep on hitting it. You there? Dindinger, try, try it. No. You're unmuted. No? All right. I try to give everyone at least two. Okay, post no bills, your last one to speak today, and then we'll go to texts from the chat. Uh, go ahead, uh, go ahead, post no bills. Hello, Dr. Jones. Hello. Yes, I have a question. Uh, on your Telegram account, you posted about the birth rate of Japan. Now, uh, there is a lot of Filipino immigration to Japan. Do you think that is a net positive in that regard? First of all, I don't think there's any immigration to Japan. Japan is a, a country that really protects its borders. It's an island, so it's easy to do. I don't think there's maybe uh, I just have a different different sense of that. Now, the other. So, yeah, I posted that uh, now when you're dealing with a demographic crisis, you're dealing with something really serious. I'm, try, I'm trying to deal with the demographic crisis in, in Iran right now. They have a, a similar problem. They're going to go out of existence if they don't do something quick. I think it's a different situation in, uh, in, in, in Iran than in Japan. Japan was conquered by the United States. Japan uh, never went for birth control, but they went for abortion in a big way. And that had a, a devastating effect on, on de the demographics there. Uh, I had a friend, a priest, who uh, was a missionary to Japan. He said nobody ever converted. And I was giving a talk once in uh, Washington. A Japanese reporter came up to me and she said, we'll never become Christian because as soon as we become Christian, the Jews are going to take over our culture. So that, I guess that's what you're trying to deal with. This, this is fine. You can have your culture. I, I'm, I'm a big fan of you, you, people having control of their own culture. But once you stop having children, you've got a serious problem. And you got to solve that problem one way or the other. So the English found this after World War II. They just found that the big families had stopped. They did some type of research into it, and they found that it had to do with religion and uh, the future and the fact that the religion, religious faith allows you uh, to deal with the future in a courageous manner, uh, which means forming a family and having children because that's risk. 
You know, you think, oh my, you know, like when I was, had my first child, people were telling me I, I needed to have a quarter of a million dollars to pay for this kid's education. Well, I didn't have anywhere near a quarter of a million dollars and it turned out it was stupid. It was just anti-natalist propaganda. But you do need, as a young person starting out, you need courage. And the main source of courage is faith. Because if you feel that God is in charge of the universe and has a plan for your life, you're, and he's a benign God, well then, okay, I'm willing to take a risk. I'm more willing to take a risk than if I, don't, if, than if I believe that the universe is mindless collision of atoms. And so the more you have this materialist ideology seeping through, the more you're going to end up uh, with, with fewer and fewer children. So that's why, I, that's why I came up with this idea for Japan. Now, Catholicism will solve that problem. Now, everybody starts screaming whenever I say that. Catholicism, no matter how bad individual Catholics that you may know uh, are, Catholicism still gives you access to the transcendental God who has the plan for the universe, and you will have that courage to face the future with that faith. And uh, nothing is going to stop that. Nothing will stop that. You will have access to the sacraments. The grace will strengthen you in that regard. And you will, I guarantee you, you will have the wherewithal to end up with a successful life. And by extrapolation, your culture will have the wherewithal to end up being a successful culture primarily by surviving because the people will be able to procreate. Now, uh, that's a long term, and that is the basically the the only solution that you need uh, to turn the situation around. It's a big uh, super tanker, though, and it takes a long time to turn a culture around. And there is this kind of in, in, inherent xenophobia uh, to Japanese culture that uh, an island uh, an island with on steroids that has this attitude toward outsiders that has been very helpful in preserving the culture, but is not solving the demographic problem. So in the short term, maybe it would be helpful if you brought in Filipinos. I don't know. They're right there. They're Catholic. Uh, and everybody starts screaming about me. Like, I know a Filipino who did X, Y, and Z, and so on and so forth. Uh, but, I mean, you know, these. all I'm saying is that moments like this call for drastic measures. You're not going to solve this by doing business as usual. I agree, Dr. Jones. Thank you. You're welcome. Okay, now is the part of the show where we hit the questions via text in the chat. And I actually, let's see, where do we start? Ah, okay. Um, let's, there's some good questions here. Let me scroll a bit. Sorry about all this. I'm flustered because we screwed up earlier and things are kind of awkward in my position. Here we are. Question for EMJ from James. If we have uh, contraception for war with Russia. Conscription. Oh, conscription, sorry. Conscription uh, for a war with Russia, China, uh, would it be morally licit for a Catholic to be a conscientious objector? Yes, it's an unjust war. There's absolutely there's unjust in, in conception. It's unjust in prosecution, and so no American should support it. Uh, and I don't, they, if they if they tried conscription, it would be a total disaster, and they'd have a rebellion on their head. So no, uh, I would not uh, no I would not die for the gay disco, 
that's another angle of the American empire is imposing all forms of morality on all kinds of cultures, and the war is to perpetuate the American empire, and we don't need an American empire. All empires are criminal conspiracies, and the sooner we get back to the American republic, the happier we Americans and the rest of the world is going to be. Uh, from Zenex, uh, I give you a great thanks for your fantastic writings and broadcasts from Croatia. I wanted to ask you a question continuing from your answer to the one I asked a time ago. You said America, unlike France, cannot survive or strive towards Catholic monarchy because it doesn't have an heir to, uh, uh, to look to. A, uh, what about the Starts? What was it? Stuarts. Oh, what about the Stuarts? Or B, if that's unsatisfactory, why not establish a new one? Yeah, let's bring back Bonnie Prince Charlie. I'm sure there's a steward out there. Some. No, it's not going to work. America, as Tom Paine said, I'm not a fan of Tom Paine, but America, in America, the law is king. That is the form. It was established at the beginning. It is anti-monarchical. Uh, you know, if you want a king of Croatia, God bless you. If you want a king of France, I can give you the guy's address. But that's not going to work for America. It will never work for America. Never. Uh, it's not our... Our form, it's, the form was created at the beginning of this country. It is anti-monarchical, and that's simply what we have to deal with. We, it, I think it's workable. I think this, the, the principles of this country are workable, but only on one condition, and that is if we have returned to the moral consensus that we had at the beginning. The main agent destroying that moral consensus was the Jews. When the Jews got power, they did. They worked full-time to undermine that moral consensus, and the result is they divided country according to the principles that I established at the beginning of this podcast. Abortion. Thanks to the Jews, we have this issue dividing the country. That, that was never the case. It was purely a Jewish operation, and the Jews are determined to double down and, and increase the division because that's how they keep their power. So if we return to the moral order, uh, yeah, it's, it, it will work. From, uh, from Alan, uh, hey, Dr. Jones. From Alan, hey, Dr. Jones, love your books. You seem to approve, uh, to approve be accepting of Latin American Catholic, uh, Catholic immigration into the U.S., despite Hispanics being 50% of Catholics in the U.S., according to Pew Research. They are the fastest apostatizing ethnic group in America. Would you not consider supporting immigration into Zion America going against acts of charity, uh, considering they'll likely quit practicing when they arrive? I'm not quite clear about that last part, but... Um... I think you might like... Uh, first of all, first of all the, the issue here is not... Uh, Catholic immigration. The issue is illegal immigration. The issue is the fact that we basically don't have a southern border, largely because the Democrats think they're going to profit by uh, bringing all these people and then corrupting their morals and turning them into uh, wage slaves and sex robots. That, that's the issue. It's not Im immigration. This is illegal immigration. This is an invasion. To call it immigration is to be mistaken. The, the, again, the problem here uh, is Jewish in its making. We're talking about the immigration law of 1965, which basically 
put at a disadvantage all of the traditional ethnic groups uh, that came to this country. Uh, most uh, Europeans certainly, uh, actually more northern and western Europeans than southern and eastern Europeans. Uh, that that that's that's that was a problem that can be resolved by quotas and things like that. But the main problem is is illegal immigration. It's this invasion across the non-existent border that the Democrats are, are promoting right now. I mean, 1992, I went to Los Angeles and I talked about the Hispanic challenge. And I said basically that, you know, when the Mexican comes, they'll be Catholic and there will be a huge uh, attempt to Americanize them by destroying their faith. And that is exactly what, what happened. Some have resisted. There is a, a, a colonel that have resisted this. Uh, but if they stay, uh, I'm saying if they stayed Catholic, if they came clear legally and they stayed Catholic and integrated into Catholic parishes, that would be a successful kind of uh, immigration policy. It was successful in the 19th century. The Catholic parish was the best integrator of uh, Europeans to American culture that we had. There was nothing better than that. Uh, and the, the oligarchs thought, uh, realized it was so successful in creating not robots, but independent thinking American citizens who had a strong foundation in the Catholic faith and knew right from wrong and weren't going to be fooled. That's why the social engineers didn't like it. Uh, from, I'm not even going to try it, Goyish Kopf. Um, uh, I guess they're asking, what is uh, anti-supersessionism? Yeah, okay. What do I mean by super? Supersessionism means that uh, the Mosaic Covenant came to an end, that the Jews who were God's chosen people had to make a choice uh, when Jesus Christ, their Messiah, arrived, and that uh, the Jews who chose Jesus Christ as the Messiah became the new Israel and the old Israel passed out of existence. The new covenant, of, which is the church, replaced the old covenant, which was the Mosaic covenant, which is obsolete. Uh, they have no, the Jews have no temple. It was destroyed in 70 AD. They have no priesthood, no sacrifice. The Catholic Church is now the successor. It has a temple, temple of Christ's body, priesthood, obviously, and the sacrifice of the mass. So that is the, uh, that is what I just said is known by the, this cabal, this Judaizing cabal, as supersessionism. Supersessionism is the authentic teaching of the Catholic Church. I recommend that you read this month's uh, issue of Culture Wars. Again, the magazine goes into depth in a way that I do not hear on these podcasts. You could re read uh, Robertson Genesis' article explaining the whole story here in good detail that will eliminate all the confusion that you have. From Friendly Bear, Dr. Jones, how would you answer Owen Benzman's gotcha, quote, if Jesus is God, why did he pray to himself, end quote? That's the Trinity, isn't it? It's called the Trinity, the Owen. Trinity. <laughs> three persons, okay. One God, three persons. I mean, uh, look, talking about the Trinity to, to Owen Benjamin is like the classic 
instance of throwing pearls before swine. I mean, I hate to say that, but I mean, we tried this uh, before. We tried some type of intervention with Owen. When he says this type of thing, he just makes a fool out of himself. You know, this is deeper than your line can plumb, Owen. And so what you have to have is some type of humility here instead of lashing out at people who are trying to help you by preventing you from making a fool out of yourself. That's all I have to say about this. From Mooney Ye24, uh, thoughts on Ethiopian Catholics and Ethiopian Orthodox Coptic Christians. Are they still all in schism? Are the cops in in schism? Uh, not as far as I know. I mean, uh, I, to, to be honest with you, you I don't know. I'd have to check this out. Are the Coptic Ethiop is that? If they're Orthodox, I guess they're in schism. There's still a schism there between these two groups. Uh, I would have to assume that. Yes. From Isaiah, uh, is EMJ aware of the work of new Pauli, uh, uh, blightly based out of uh, new what's this new Pauli, Pauli oh uh, of new Pauli based out of Steubenville? Uh, if so, what does he think of their critiques on liberalism and their refusal to talk about the JQ? Uh, well, th th you pretty much stated the whole case right there. If you're if you have a critique of liberalism, but you're not, uh, you're talking, look, I don't know. I don't know who is involved with the new polity. I know there are people at Notre Dame who are talking this way. They're trying to resurrect a conservatism that has expired because it's forever talking in generalities. We have to talk in specifics. That's the whole point I'm talking about. There are specific actors out there. They have specific names, you know, like Merrick Garland and Josh Hawley. These are specific people, and I'm not saying it's just individuals. They represent groups. There are groups out there that are categories of reality. Catholics are one, Jews are another. And when you're constantly trying to put an overlay of civic speech that has a, 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 the effect of simply making everything vague, you're never going to get to the heart of the issue. I've mentioned it before, but I mean, uh, Archbishop Chaput, who should certainly know better, uh, was uh, Archbishop of Philadelphia wrote an article in First Things said that uh, school prayer was uh, destroyed because of secularizing activists. No, that's not. It was Jews. It was the American Jewish Committee. Uh, it was Leo Pfeffer. This is the facts of the reality. Secularizing activist is a category of the mind that exists solely to give you cover for uh, being in the company of people who are polite. That's what first things exist to do, uh, a, a veneer of vagueness that allows you to talk vaguely about things that are very specific, but which you are afraid to address. Um, uh, oh, uh, Dindinger, uh, yeah, you're able to text here. I'll, I'll, I'll DM you because I have the answer for you, uh, Dindinger. Um, I'll DM you after either today or tomorrow. I'll get you hooked up with the person who knows about that. Um, from Cypher Zone. In your book, Libido Dominandi, I don't remember very well the exact words you said, but there is an obvious relation between the vegetarianism 
and sexual liberation. Can you please clarify that statement? Because this relation is certainly not obvious to me. Thank you very much. Yeah, the uh, the instance where I brought, I, I'm, I'm right now uh, revising the first edition. We're going to bring out a second edition of Libido Dominante. Libido Dominante stopped at basically 1993 with the Clinton administration. Well, there's a lot of water over the dam since then, and it's all going to be put into the second edition. But reading the first edition, uh, I it comes out in my discussion of uh, Shelley, uh, who was the model for Frankenstein, uh, specifically his poem Queen Mab, which was a kind of revolutionary manifesto. And Shelley uh, advocated all of the standard uh, things you would associate with revolution, including sexual liberation, but also vegetarianism, uh, which seems kind of odd, but he did it. Uh, Shelley, by the way, uh, was always a sickly kind of guy uh, who spent a lot of time drinking laudanum, which is uh, liquid opium. Uh, but whenever he traveled, he always got uh, healthier because he started eating meat and meat made him healthier. Uh, so it was, again, typical revolutionary prop ideology where it's at odds uh, with reality. That's where the idea came from. That's where I mention it in Libido Dominandi. But I also remember my own experiences uh, as a graduate student. Uh, I'm married at this point and have one child, but I'm always working with uh, young ladies who are also graduate students who are all vegetarians, and I can't figure out why, why is this why is this happening here? Why is it specifically associated with graduate school? Uh, I think basically because at this point the, the ladies are on their own. Uh, this was a, a bohemian operation. It was a hippie operation. It was a countercultural operation. And so they were all living in places like Palton Village. It was headquartered in Palton Village in Philadelphia, where there was a lot of uh, sexual experimentation and liberation going on. And my sense back then, and I think it corroborates uh, uh, Shelley's statement, is basically that once they got involved in illicit sexual activity, they felt unclean. And the primitive way of dealing with being unclean is to deal with a diet. This is the, the Jews were famous for this, and Jesus had to correct them at a certain point in saying it's not what comes into your mouth that makes you unclean. It's what comes out of your mind that makes you unclean. Uh, and I think that was a primitive uh, attempt on their part to purify themselves through dietary restriction. That, that was my sense uh, it's in Shelley. That's about all I can say about it right now. Uh, Dr. Jones, it's uh, 625. You want to keep going? One question. One more question. One question. All right. And my apologies for starting late. Yeah. These, these things happen. Don't blame me. Don't, yeah. Don't blame that mic. Blame the other mic. My, blame right. the other mic. All blame, right. Go ahead. Blame the magical servers that broke down on us. Uh, from uh, John uh, Selmer Dix. Um, question... Does Dr. Jones have any statement on the Maryland mayor uh, and uh, protege of Pete Buttigieg who has just been arrested for child pornography? Yeah, I just saw that story today. Uh, the I tweeted something to the effect of, why, why are people shocked when homosexuals get involved in criminal activity? Why is this shocking? Homosexuality was criminal activity not too long ago. Uh, and I would say for good reason. I know that people are going to get upset. There are a lot of people who get upset when you say that. But uh, it is a severe, grievous, and outrageous violation of the natural law. And that always has severe consequences. 
And so the problem here is that uh, now you cannot uh, uh, accuse people. Uh, you can't blackmail anybody anymore for homosexuality. And that overloads the whole child pornography thing. Child pornography becomes a kind of catch basin for the outrage that you used to be able to express at the flagrant violation of the natural law that homosexuality is. So I'm not surprised. Why is this surprising? If you're willing to do that type of stuff, why wouldn't you willing be willing to commit crimes? I, I, that seems to me the, the simple reaction. And now uh, this is Pete was the mentor of this guy. Uh, well, is he going to claim responsibility for his behavior? Or are we all going to just say, oh, no, that was him. We're going to do the Charles Moskowitz roots, which was basically, no, there's no such thing as a category called homosexuals. It's only individual homosexuals. And you can't generalize about their behavior. Uh, now, I'm, I'm Charles does not say this about homosexuality. He says it about the Jews. But the fact that uh, to say that you can't generalize about uh, homosexuals because of their behavior is preposterous. It's preposterous, and only someone who has been schooled uh, in the school of nominalism uh, would accept that uh, po possibility. It is obvious that someone who engages in that behavior is going to be open to other asocial behavior, and at a certain point, asocial behavior invariably becomes criminal behavior. Well, there you guys have it. Another episode of EMJ Live. Uh, if you guys don't know, these are every Friday at 5. Thanks for everyone who's new. Thanks for everyone who's showing up for the millionth time. Make sure to subscribe to Culture Wars magazine at culturewars.com. Uh, go to fidelitypress.org for all of the books we have. Obviously, subscribe and follow us on everything. Telegram, Cozy, Gab, BitChute, all those and such. And for my little announcement, this, this video, the video I have recorded, and it will be... Uh, available uh, tomorrow morning sometime uh, and, uh, to everyone, including people on Cozy, so you guys don't miss out. Uh, that's it. What do you got, Doc? Thank you. Thank you. As always, I've enjoyed the conversation. Lots of instances of the cunning of reason, Logos is rising in direct proportion to the oligarchs trying to suppress it. Thank you. See you next week. God bless you guys.